Like one of my mantras is like, I'm not broke, I'm money in the making. I think with every kind of negative mindset or opinion you have, flip it on its head. TTYA Talks, the podcast. So guys, you know, every week we need to be focused. And my guest today is Tony Tone writer, social content creator, and the host of BBC One Extra's Money Moves podcast. She's best known for her inspiring and thought-provoking writing on Twitter, which has been featured in publications such as The Independent, Elle, Huffington Post, and more. She spoke at my International Women's Day event last year, and honestly, guys, I was just so blown away by her unapologetic black girl magic. So without further ado, guys, I welcome Tony Tone to TTYA Talks. Hi, Tony Tone. Welcome to TTYA Talks, the podcast. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to get into it with you because you know we need to be focused. <laughs> and I know you're going to really like give us the real gist. So let's start at the beginning. Where did you grow up? Where are you from? Give us a little bit about your family dynamic. We want it all, sis. Okay, yeah. Um, I was born in Nigeria, in Ibadan, and my mum is Nigerian. My dad is half Nigerian. He's biracial. Um, but he was born and bred in Nigeria. As far as he's concerned, he's a Niger man. So um, <laughs> his, yeah, his, his mum uh, is half British, half Norwegian. And she actually uh, left him in Nigeria growing up. So he didn't grow up with his mum, he grew up with his dad. So he's, as far as he's concerned, he, he's black through and through. Um, so uh, we moved to the UK when I was about five years old from Nigeria and we moved straight to Oxford because my mum had um, a postgraduate course that she was doing at Oxford Brooks and we thought yeah like let's just do it well I say we I obviously could not make decisions <laughs> at that point but my parents were like okay you know what I think moving to the UK will present the best opportunity for our kids and at the time it was me and my brother and they wanted us to go to a school in the UK and um, then we had my sister so it's myself my brother my sister and yeah living in Oxford was interesting because it is not as multicultural as London for the for example so growing up um my school was not super diverse it was like majority white in my sixth form it was like me and one other black girl who happened to be my best friend of course (laughs) and um in my in my like middle school, secondary school, there was like a handful of black girls in my year and they were all of Caribbean descent. So growing up, I would say that it was kind of weird because I went from like Nigeria to the UK and then I felt like I lost touch when it came to my heritage because I was in like Mm -hmm. a predominantly white school in a different country. And then going to university was like, wow, culture shock. And I, because I was thrown straight into like diversity again and meeting all these people like me who are of Nigerian descent or West African descent and being like, oh my God, I've been missing out growing up. Um, so yeah, that was, that was like an amazing time for me. It was difficult initially coming to the UK, but once I got settled in, it was fine. And, and going to university was definitely a, a shift, but a, a shift that was very necessary. What uni did you go to? Brunel. Hey, Brunel. Yeah. <laughs> Listen. 
listen, really first easy. things first, yeah. When you're talking about multicultural university, that is one of the top <laughs> multicultural diversities. Yep. So Brunel used to have the best ACS, which is Afro-Caribbean oh, yeah. Society. Yeah. So I only I used to drive that. I went to Kingston, so I used to drive to Brunel. I used to drive to Brunel for parties and gist. I'm not gonna lie, because <laughs> the ACS at Brunel was kind of popping. We're not gonna lie. Like they had things really, really going on. So that must have yeah. really been a big cultural shift from Oxford to Brunel. It was mad. I remember when I was thinking of like which you need to go to, I remember going to um like Freshers uh you know like when they do that Freshers Week yeah university yeah. thing. Um and I was seeing like all these black faces and I was like, oh my God, I need to go here. Like I need to go here. My mom's like uh at least kind of explore a bit more. So I explored. I loved it. It was all on one campus. But what I loved was that like I did not for the first time in my life since mm. moving like from Nigeria, I did not feel out of place. Mm. Because in my school, like, yeah, I had friends. Yeah, on the surface, everything seemed fine. But there was a part of me that just felt like I never, ever fit in. And mm. going to Brunel was like, there was still, it's weird because in uni, I still felt like I didn't fit in to a degree because I was that girl that wasn't from London, that was from Oxford, mm. didn't know the lingo. And I still had to kind of like accommodate and I had to grow, but I felt more comfortable than I ever felt because I was around mm. people that looked like me, similar background. And yeah, it was it was definitely from one extreme to another. I was about to say that is a big extreme to another. Yeah. So tell us about, let's get into your career. Like, how did you get, because I know the reason why I thought it would be amazing to speak to you is because obviously I know from, you, you know, being around you in other events and hearing you speak before, you really did that big migration from having that structured nine to five into being self-employed. And I feel like that's a question that I always get asked the most of just like people are weighing up that, oh, like consistent money to like following your passion and your yeah, dream. Yeah. So how did you kind of navigate your career up to date? Uh, up to date. So when I left university, I had no clue what I wanted to do, to be completely honest. Like I've worked in so many different jobs. I've worked in retail. I've worked selling phones. I've sold um, and managed gas and electricity for businesses. I've worked in the NHS. I've worked for Oxford University. So when I left uni, I had no idea what I wanted to do. I did a media and communications degree and I was like, you know what, let me just find a job. Let me just find a job because I knew it was super hard for people to get jobs in their field. And I just took up any job and then I went from any job to another job. And then I was like, okay, actually, no, I want to work in communications and media, which is what I studied. So I applied for a job in comms for the National Health Service and I loved it while I was there. Like I managed all the digital activity for the South of England. It was all cool, managing social media and I, I really enjoyed it. But then I was like, okay, I've done what I need to do here. What next? And that's when I got a job at Oxford University. And for me, that was a huge deal because Oxford University has this reputation for being like super elitist. And I was of the opinion that I wouldn't get a job there because of the color of my skin, which was really like, factually inaccurate because it's super the workforce is like diverse but I thought okay it's not gonna happen but I went to the interview anyway and I got the job and I thought this is amazing like how am I working for Oxford University like managing student comms like it was nuts but then I started reflecting and thinking Tony like is this what you want to do with your life sure it hits the nail on the head as far as your degree but do you feel passionate about this and I I didn't I liked the job to a degree but I didn't feel like that was my calling you know what I mean so yeah at the time I was kind of like still figuring out what I wanted to do but simultaneously I was writing on Twitter and 
writing my thoughts, writing my emotions, writing stuff that I feel like women in particular would connect with. And it was going from strength to strength. And then as that happened, I thought, oh my goodness, like maybe this is a talent that I didn't really realize I had because historically in my jobs, I didn't really do much writing. I did a lot of like managing communications and strategy and managing social media, but like emotive writing was was something I never did. And I started doing that. And when things were really, really happening, I thought I need to explore this more. So I thought, okay, this this could be my brand. This could be my thing. So I created a website and I thought I want to write specifically for women, about women. And I want to I, I want to write things that people have difficulty art- articulating. And I thought, okay, this is what I want to do full time. I think I found it. But at the time I was still working my nine to five And I really struggled with that transition. Like, do I jump ship? Do I jump ship? And I had been working at Oxford for just over two years before I finally jumped ship. And I think we hear a lot about like risks and when you find your calling, just sacrifice it and take that risk and quit your job. But for me, it wasn't that simple because I had like financial commitments. I have family that I like uh, contribute to. I had things I really needed to consider. I could not be selfish. I didn't have the luxury of saying, you know what, effort, this is my dream. Screw everybody. Um, I had to be like, okay, you know what, can I still fulfill my financial obligations and commitments to other people? Um, and when I felt like actually the money I'm making from my side hustle is enough for me to deliver on my responsibilities. That's when I was like, I'm going to take the risk. I'm going to leave. It wasn't as much I was as I was earning in my full-time job, but it was enough that I could cover the essentials and the basics and then yeah I left um, mid-pandemic actually I left my full-time job June 2020 and initially I was a bit concerned because I was like this could completely flop like maybe you had a few good months like four good months and you're making money and what if you don't make money again but it was the best decision I've ever made I think and I think because we come of that kind of that place and I I do think like that West African heritage plays quite a lot in it in just like not necessarily struggle but we know like how much our parents like sacrifice to come so you know you don't want to be seen to be kind of doing things without following it through and to them like kind of self-employment especially in the creative industry can kind of (laughs) seem a bit higgy haga like is that really a serious (laughs) job like you're not really sure like where you kind of fit in so I do think a lot of it sometimes is fear and doubt and I think once we overcome the fear and doubt then we allow ourselves to kind of fully submerge but I'm, I was the yeah. same as you like I needed to make sure that the basics and the essentials yeah. were cover, covered from my side hustle before I gave everything up and dived all the way in you know um, do you remember your first tweet that went viral yeah it was um, I think yeah it was the chubby cheeks tweet it was um basically I was like writing I had a conversation with my sister who and she was talking about like being model-esque and having this like very model-esque structured face and how she wasn't a fan of her cheeks and I was like uh you see these cheeks on your face honey people pay to fill their face and have the cheeks you have like chubby cheeks is a blessing it's gonna keep you looking fresher for longer you're not gonna look gaunt when you're 40 50 because you got these chubby cheeks like embrace your chubby cheeks and um, I thought to myself, there are a lot of young women actually that really want this like 
very structured, slim face. And I was doing some research and I saw that there was like this surgery called buccal fat remover where you could like remove the fat from your face. I was thinking, oh my God, this is a thing. Why are people doing this? I thought, Mm. let me write a thread about chubby cheeks and let me tell the young women that chubby cheeks are where it's at. So I wrote this thread and I really didn't think anything of it. It was something just to make, kind of make my sister feel better basically about her chubby cheeks. And then before I knew it, like I, I woke up and... I was like, what? Why, why, what? Why did I get an alert on my phone? And I saw that, oh, it was in the Cosmopolitan. And I was like, wait. And then it was in Huffington Post. And then it was on BuzzFeed. And then all these women had submitted photos of their chubby cheeks. And they were loving their cheeks loudly and proudly. And that is like the first time that anything I wrote on Twitter ended up in like publications. And that's when I thought, okay, maybe there is a space for people to talk about the things that women think about but don't necessarily like shout about um so yeah so that that was the first tweet the chubby cheeks gang and yeah we had a hashtag chubby cheeks gang <laughs> <laughs> i loved it because i remember last valentine's i think it was oxford circus and i was walking and twitter did actually a really sick campaign well it was last um, valentine's right when they yeah, had all the tweets yeah. on the underground and i remember what i think it was oxford circus and i saw your tweet at oxford circus or tottenham it was either tottenham court or oxford circus and i was standing on a platform but I just looked up and I was like oh my god that's Tony's tweet that's so sick <laughs> but it was so huge it and was I was fast. just like wow like even I was like this is so amazing that just imagine like the fact that you can literally just tweet what you're thinking and then it literally everybody around the world could see it but it was such an amazing moment and I think they had a couple of yours back to back all along the tube line and I just remember thinking oh this is so amazing um which leads me on to my next thing. So a lot of those tweets were from what quote unquote black Twitter. Um, and it's so funny because I'm not, I only kind of became, um, I think it was a, a couple of years ago, I followed a hashtag and it was about Afro hair. And then I kind of uh-huh. submerged myself into this quote unquote black Twitter. What value do you think kind of black Twitter adds culturally? Because it is almost its own unique space. It is, it is. And I honestly, I... <sighs> call me biased but I feel like there would be no Twitter without black Twitter like you see you see the memes that get circulated mm. for years and years and years the the humor the the bants all of that like back black Twitter is the driving force behind so much content on Twitter and it's not monolithic either you have content that is hilarious then you have mm. super educational content you have people talking about women in tech you have people um, just creating jokes 24-7 you have people talking about politics you have people talking about science like there is so much and so much diversity on black Twitter mm. and I think that when um, black people take something they make it theirs and they roll with it Mm -hmm. it just blows up like we've seen it with other apps like clubhouse right yeah yeah yeah, and i think that twitter does owe a lot to its black users but i think twitter Mm -hmm. recognizes that you have twitter black voices you have Mm -hmm. um other uh, twitter groups that are led by twitter centrally to celebrate and amplify the voices of black people online um but black twitter is twitter as far as i'm concerned (laughs) I think one thing I have to give credit to you is that you've really grown a strong organic following on your social media handles, like across Instagram and across Twitter. What tips would you maybe give to like, you know, some younger girls who are thinking about like kind of using this as a way to promote themselves or promote their business? What would you, what any tips for like kind of sustaining your organic network? I would say sustaining an organic network is definitely about authenticity. I think there are a lot of people that go on Twitter and they write things 
uh, to provoke people. They write controversial things that they may not necessarily stand behind or believe in in the moment, but they're doing it because they think it's an easy way to get followers. And I think what one important thing for me is, is don't get me wrong, like my, my views change and people's views change throughout their life. And I'm sure that when I'm 50, I look back some, at some of my tweets when I was 30, I'll think, what the hell was I thinking when I wrote this? So I'm not saying y- you shouldn't allow for change but I'm saying in the moment when you share anything Mm. online it should be something that you stand behind in that moment and you believe in in that moment that the sole reason you are sharing it is not to uh, incite bullying or not to trigger people in an awful way or not to be controversial or not to gain followers is because you want to write it and I think the reason why I have probably amassed these followers is underpinning everything I did wasn't to get followers it was to add value and when I started adding value was when my followers grew I've been on Twitter for for um not so not Twitter sorry I've been on Instagram for example for a very long time over a decade and mm. I was getting followers steadily but it plateaued and I think that's because my aim was like to get followers I was like jumping on everything oh let me try and do makeup videos or let me try and do this let me try and do fashion content let me try and do that and I wasn't really doing anything that was adding true value then when I started doing that and I started operating with a purpose and being intentional with the content I posted that's when I gained followers so my advice to like anyone and young women listening would be be intentional with your content do it with purpose and post what you firmly stand behind and you believe in Ah, give them (laughs) give them okay so I want to talk about your podcast now because I remember when we first discussed it and we were all talking about it obviously it's called money moves um I want you to talk about it I want you to tell about it because I love it I've been listening to it consistently and you know I think it's exactly what we need in this day and age because it teaches us to be really smart with our money so I don't want to give too much away about it tell us a bit about money moves how did the podcast come about why was it important for you to kind of spread this idea and spread this kind and have this as your narrative for your first ever podcast so the podcast came about when um a production company uh, basically contacted me and there's an amazing woman on that production company called Fatuma Keira and she Um, knew of me and really liked my work and she works for this podcast production company and thought like why do I not have a podcast yet and she knew at the time in her production company as well as this amazing uh, lady called Lily Ames and and Ruth Barnes knew that there was um, a commissioning process that was happening at the BBC where they were looking for podcasts for certain demographics and they were like, Tony, are you up for doing this podcast? Because you have this budgeting template. We've seen that you've talked about money in the past and we think you'd be really great. And you, Irene, were also a key catalyst <laughs> because obviously like, you helped me record the pilot. You were my like yeah. pilot guest. And basically that pilot that we shot was make or break and whether or not I would get commissioned by the BBC. And when BBC listened to the pilot, they loved it. I think they were like... 80 people that submitted something to be commissioned, then it was down to like 20. And then I got the commission. Um, And it was a massive, massive deal for me at the time, not just to have a podcast, but also because it was a podcast centered around um, helping young people in particular manage their relationship with money. And as someone who, like I said, moved from another country, who have parents from another country and who have friends who... Um, emigrated or parents or or friends who have parents who did that in our community 
Money is not something that is necessarily talked about frequently. Mm. And it's a bit of a taboo to talk about money quite openly, especially yeah. in West African culture, to be honest. And it's to our detriment because a lot mm. of us do not grow up with the information that maybe like our white peers had growing up. A lot of us have to learn through our own mistakes or we have to actively pursue information. A lot of us are very anti-credit, for example, because of things that we have heard from parents or conversations we haven't had. And I thought it was really important to create a podcast aimed at people in their late teens, early 20s, focused on sharing information that would be really helpful to them and that I wish I had about money growing up. And that is basically, yeah, the premise of the podcast. And I didn't want it to be about like investment and budgeting and cryptocurrency and really like... Stocks and shares. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Stocks and shares. Like this very like highbrow, boring podcast that talks about the complexities of money because it's like, okay, a lot of people that... That's like people spend years informing and educating themselves on all that stuff. And I wanted it to be like very holistic and just talking about the fundamentals and getting those things out of the way because I think the fundamentals shape our experiences with money Mm. and and it trickles down. So that is what the podcast is about. And I've had some amazing guests on there. Like each episode I have like a money expert or a finance coach or an entrepreneur and they share the knowledge that helped them get to where they are. One of the things that I loved about the podcast was it talking about like healthy money mindset. Um, What is healthy money mindset? And what are some (laughs) of the tips to having a healthy money mindset? A a healthy money mindset or a positive money mindset is definitely not a scarcity mindset. It it, it is an abundance one. I think, unfortunately, a lot of of people through no fault of their own have a scarcity mindset. And it's uh, a mindset focused on like I never have enough I'm never going to have enough it's very tough I don't want to spend money I I I'm always going to struggle and that is a mindset that does not help us it doesn't help us when it comes to utilizing our money in the best way it doesn't help us when it comes to taking risk it doesn't help us when it comes to just believing in ourselves point mm. blank and having an abundance mindset is a mindset that is is not focused on one beating yourself up about money it's, it's focused, a healthy money mindset is about forgiving money mistakes or money mishaps. It's about being positive and optimistic about the future. It's also about not being judgmental um, about how you spend your money or how other people spend their money. And it's about looking at money as a tool that is there to help you and a tool that can help you as opposed to a tool that is put on this earth to just jeopardize your life and make your life difficult. Mm-hmm. And I think when people change their mindset, that's when things happen in their life that make them feel like, actually, I could grab my future by the horns. I could grab my life by the horns. And when they have a healthy money mindset, even if they're not in the best financial state, their mindset tells them, you know what? I may have five-figure debt, but I can get rid of it. Mm. I have the the power. I have the confidence. I have the means to get rid of it. Mm. I have the ability to control my money instead of money controlling me. Mm. Yeah, because I learned that a lot through listening to the podcast Because I think one thing for me was dealing with the trauma of money I think for me, I grew up in a household that didn't really have much money when I was growing mm. up So for me, I always, like like what you just said, it's about the mindset Because growing up, I came from a lack of money mindset So I'd always think like the, the thought of having loads of money Like made me shit scared if I'm really honest Because I just felt like, one, I just thought, we, you know You have to work so hard to make a lot yeah. of money And then yeah. on top of that, when you've got it, like you've got to be this like 
it was coming from a place of fear. Me, I had associated money with lack and fear, you know? So I had to like train myself to get better at it and understand that actually it's not working hard, it's working smart, but actually, no, you have to be, have, you have to have a mindset of just like money is constantly, my, my income is constantly increasing. That's my affirmation of my mirror in my bathroom. I'm not going to lie to you, it's but my income true. is constantly increasing so that it's like, you're not coming from a place of lack and you're coming from a place where you know that, okay, money's always going to come to me. Let me not think about it in a negative space, it. always in a positive space so that you can afford to, you're not holding on to your money like <laughs> end of the cliff, like, yeah. you know, like you're just holding on to that money. Like, but at the same time, it's like money can come, money can go. You shouldn't be frivolous mm-hmm. with it, but it's literally, it's transactional. Money comes in, money goes out, money comes yeah. in, money goes out. And that's yeah. how I trained myself. I thought if I can think in that way, then I'm not coming from a place of lack. I'm coming for a place of gratefulness and I'm grateful yeah. for the money that's coming in and I'm grateful for the money that's going out. And, you know, that constant space will keep me in a positive mindset. So that's one thing I did take away from the podcast was having a positive, healthy mindset around money. <laughs> it's so true. And I even say like with your uh, affirmation, similarly, like one of my mantras is like, I'm not broke, I'm money in the making. Hey, Because like we, sometimes we can perpetuate these like ideas that, make us yeah that really just put us down like whether even if if it's not related to money even in in life sometimes people would be like oh I'm fat oh I'm ugly oh I can never do that oh I I can't achieve this I can't achieve that and I think with every kind of negative mindset or opinion you have it's so important to try and learn to flip it on its head and I think like having that affirmation that you have like makes such a big difference with the way we approach life so the success of your insightful content um, (laughs) has led to you signing an amazing book deal tell us everything or tell us what you're allowed to tell us give us some some exclusives yeah but I want to hear all about the book deal sis so the book deal happened when um a lady from HarperCollins got in touch with me her name's Nancy Adamora a Nigerian woman just like yeah show them Nancy's (laughs) amazing because she she is behind so much amazing content at HarperCollins in that she wants black writers to write about things beyond race and trauma Mm -hmm. and unfortunately a lot of us get boxed into oh yeah talk about race i'll talk about trauma i'll talk about race struggle struggle yeah and that's just like it's not everyday struggle sis sometimes write about something beyond that Mm. and she got in contact with me and was like tony uh do you have a book if not why the hell don't you have a book do you want to have a book and i was like hell yeah i want to have a book like i have a million and one ideas for a book and i basically talked to her about my book idea and she was like i love it let's see if we can push that and I wrote a um, proposal up for HarperCollins and they read it and they were like, we love your writing. We want to give you a book deal. So they, yeah, they offered me like a five figure book deal, which is more the most money I've ever been offered in my life at mm-hmm. one point for one project. And I remember the day I signed my book deal, like I cried, like I legit cried because I just never could have imagined that something like that would happen to me, especially mm-hmm. because historically I never considered myself to be a writer like I said like I didn't actually even realize that people deem me as having a writer's skill or ability Mm -hmm. until I was in my late 20s and yeah when that happened I was just like okay it's go time and don't get me twisted like I experienced quite a bit of imposter syndrome when that happened and I still have it sometimes because I'm like me a book are people gonna buy it are people gonna like it like seriously me an author I can't believe it but it's been amazing like I've finished my first draft it's actually sat with my editors at the moment and it's basically a How book exciting. Called- <laughs> 
Are you I'm so excited? It's um, a book called I Wish I Knew This Earlier. And it's basically about love lessons. And it's a book on love lessons connected to dating, connected to being in a relationship, connected to heartbreak. And love lessons that I gathered from my own experiences or things I did well or things I did horribly and my own mistakes and also mm-hmm. observations. And that's basically it. I want it to be like a... I want it to be like a kind of a love Bible for people and not not in the sense that it's 110% right with all the answers in the world and everything will be perfect once you read it. But I think it's going to help a lot of young women in particular kind of navigate love. And I explore a lot of themes about taking accountability because I think sometimes Mm. with books it can be very much about the other person the other person the other person a lot of my book is about like okay I kind of fucked up with this and I don't want you to fuck up with this so by the way sis here's some tea on like (laughs) what I did wrong and what I wish I didn't do and then there's also I think another important part of the book is the heartbreak element so there's a whole chapter on my book about heartbreak and I think heartbreak is super, super tough to deal with. And I wanted to create something that people can refer to when they're feeling their lowest of low after a breakup. Because I've been through breakups and I felt like really, really bad. And at the time, what would have made a difference was like hearing from other people that one, you're not alone. And two, these are things you can do to help you through this heartbreak and help you rationalize it. And that's what I try to do with the book without saying too much. But yeah, a lot of, and I talk about my experiences a lot. So on Twitter, um, a lot of what I say is not necessarily like about me directly. It's about like, oh, I want to help you without giving too much of my life away. But in the book, I actually talk about like relationships I've had and things I've been through and discussions I've had with people. So it gives... I think a bit of an intimate look into my life that you, people don't really get on Twitter. Uh, I, I can't wait, sis. When's it due to come oh, out? Thank you. It's Fingers due crossed. to come out October. So hey, Black History October. Month. We will put everybody <laughs> better plan it to your planner. Put it to your planner. We must plan for this October. Ami, Ami. Okay, I'm ready because this hey, has I'll triggered me so much because I feel like there's a lot about relationships and especially coming from a black woman's perspective that I don't mm. feel like we talk about enough, especially mm. like generational trauma and how much mm. it affects us in how we see relationships view relationships I have that in the in relationships yeah you know there's so much and I only learned I'm gonna be honest I've been to therapy and it's only when I went to therapy I saw so much about how much my childhood and generational traumas had triggered me so for example like my dad is like one of oh god I don't even know my, my dad has probably got about 40 brothers and sisters and my dad's my granddad had six wives so my dad like basically didn't really have a relationship with his dad and no, we from the same own- family because like- <laughs> <laughs> this is sounding very familiar right now yeah. like, sorry, literally, sorry. <laughs> my granddad identified his kids by who their mum was like you're this <laughs> oh I know your mum like your mum is this wife or you're this wife's kid so in in hindsight what that did is obviously my dad's relationship of how to be a father is what he learned from how to be a father which wasn't really the best if I'm going to be honest so there were so many traumas that I was like well I don't really want to pass on this trait or I've felt this from my dad and this isn't something that I want to teach into my kids so it's just like identifying what some of those traumas are and knowing how you're going to navigate it to break some of those bonds and when I tell you sis that this shit is so self like I don't even have I don't even want to explain it to like go that's a whole nother podcast episode but (laughs) 
just understanding that one it isn't something that's abnormal and two it's, it's actually about like i'm literally my mother's child like i've morphed into my mom oh my like i'm gonna God. be honest we are literally the same person like this is actually mad <laughs> i've morphed into my mom which scares the shit out of me but also i know the bits of her that i want to keep and i know the bits of her that i actually yeah, really yeah. leave behind which i, I, all, I learned exactly with time what you mean i've learned with time so i'm excited for this book i want to hear all about heartbreak i want to hear all about love like i'm i love love so Sis, Same. It's, in, it's in the diary. October, we're ready. I'm, we're gonna celebrate. Yeah, I'm you. sending a copy your way. Don't worry. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna do the big launch. We'll be out of lockdown. 20, 2021 imprisonment. We'll yes, be out in oh, the streets, and we'll be able to do something so amazing for you, sis. I got you. I promise oh, you that. Thank you I'm so not much. I'm gonna lie to you. you. So, being a successful woman. Obviously, owning your own businesses now. Um, a lot of the questions I get around, you know, being a woman in business, that people think obviously it looks so easy. And I'm not going to lie, part of that is our own fault because we make it look easy. We do it effortlessly. <laughs> um, but like, you know, being a successful woman in business, it can be really tough. Like, is there any advice that you could give for, you know, maybe asking for what you want or like maybe some of those meetings that you've had to go into, you've maybe had to negotiate things for yourself? Like, any business tips that you could give us about primarily? around asking for what you want yeah I think as a woman it's kind of been ingrained in us to not be able to recognize our full potential and our value because society does a great job of diminishing it unfortunately and one hurdle for me in the beginning was definitely asking for what I want and questioning my value and I remember like getting offered jobs or campaigns and I'd be when I think about the money I was asking for it was actually a joke and it wasn't until I had a meeting with my management company and this was before they were my management company and they were looking at signing me and we had a conversation about fees what I was charging and they were like <laughs> excuse me are, are, you, are you joking and I was like no what do you mean they're like uh you should be charging like five times that amount I was like are you kidding me <laughs> I see all this time I just been like getting paid peanuts because I didn't recognize my value so I would say um initially having your own business is is not always easy because you are going to doubt your decisions a lot you're gonna you're gonna um undervalue yourself you are going to doubt your decisions you are going to feel like an imposter you are going to feel like you are not deserving of certain opportunities and my advice is to really 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 consider the self-work element of having a business because people think business owners are business owners or, or people that work for themselves work for themselves because they have life figured out Mm-mm, hell mm-hmm. no a lot of us are still trying to figure life out mm-hmm. and I think it's really important that people do not stop that journey when they decide to embark on a business or work for themselves. Because if you feel like your self-love was tested before, oh, it's going to be tested 10 times over when you have your own business. And that's also because you don't really have anything or anyone to fall back on. Mm -hmm. And you also don't really have anyone else to hold you accountable. You Mm -hmm. need to hold yourself accountable. You need to be your cheerleader. You need to be your manager. You need to be your financial expert. You need to be everything to yourself, right? And to do that effectively, you need to believe in in yourself and believe in your vision. So anyone listening who wants to have their own business, like it's not just about working on your brand and working on your project and working on on things on the ground. It's also about working on you as a person and making sure you're in the space to manage it to the best of your uh, capability. So um, I think that's that's really, really big when it comes to, to having your own business. I think another 
important thing is consistency because you can have all the self-love in the world but if you're not consistent with your delivery you're going to tank your business so it's about waking up every day and saying even if you think you are the shit waking up every day and saying yeah I'm the shit but hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard Mm -hmm. you need to work hard you Mm -hmm. need to wake up and give 110 percent facts all the facts. I'm just here like, mm-hmm, yep, mm-hmm, <laughs> yep, mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. Because I feel like sometimes when, when, when you do start your business, the biggest thing that I learned, to be honest, was also allowing myself to not have all the answers because people yes. expect you to know everything and you just yeah. don't. But I think the biggest value that I got was actually speaking to my network too because the whole thing, especially what you've said around, you know, m- money moves and the podcast is, you know, having the confidence to be like, sis, I know you're in this industry. What are you charging for this? Or, you know, yeah. not ha- not being afraid to ask your other, p- your, your, especially friends within your network. I'm not saying yeah. just randomly go and DM someone on Instagram, what do you charge for your fee? But like, especially when you've got a network <laughs> of people who work in a similar field to you don't be afraid to ask them what their going rates are and how much they're getting paid because you'll be surprised that a lot of these brands there's many of you that are working on the same project but the scale of what they're paying each and every one of you can be very different so me I don't feel no way to be like sis we're on this project together what are you getting paid what did you negotiate guys what are they offering you so that everybody knows we're all aligned and we're all doing the same thing and we should all be making the same amount of money but you know if you're afraid to ask then you're living in this whole I don't really know but I don't want to be seen to ask like if you don't know and if you don't ask you don't get don't get (laughs) so those are the tips that I've learned around that you know I'm being (laughs) successful and starting your own business but you know on the topic of success what does success mean to you success I think is is doing what you love and feeling fulfilled in what you do I think sometimes we can reduce success to popularity. We can reduce success to uh, monetary values and vanity metrics like, oh, this person has loads of money. This person is well known. This person is in this magazine. I don't think that's success. I think success is being fulfilled. I think you could be successful in any job at any level at any time in your life. But it's about looking at the life you have and saying, you know what? I love the life I have and I would not trade it for anybody. And I think like once you get to a space where you feel like this is this life, I love this life. I'm not trading it. It's mine. I know it's mine. I love it. I adore it. I'm fulfilled. That's when you're successful. I love that. When do you feel like the most comfortable, like in your own skin? Because I know a lot of the a lot of what you kind of write about and talk about is, you know, about women loving themselves and being comfortable yeah. with themselves and, and knowing their value. So when do you feel the most comfortable in your own skin? Um, I feel most comfortable when I am around my family. And I think I feel most comfortable around them because there's so much power in being in the company of people that love you and want to see you win. And people who love you at your core to the point that, if you messed up today, they will still be there tomorrow. And mm. my family, my like my family, my my parents, my siblings, they love me beyond comprehension. And it is a type of love that I have never felt from anyone else. And I feel m- most comfortable when I'm literally in my house with my mum, my dad, my brother and sister. We're we're playing uh, Ludo, we're playing Uno, <laughs> we're chilling out, we're we're ordering food, we're relaxing. And yeah, I think that is when I'm at my happiest. 
And I was even going to say, like, who do you surround yourself with, like, to keep you up, <laughs> encourage you and uplift you? But it sounds like you kind of just answered that already. Um, yeah. Are there any activities that you kind of do to make yourself kind of feel good, especially where we've been in lockdown? Like, you know, we haven't really have as much freedom as we have. Mine has been running. I've been obsessed with running. Um, but are there any activities that you that have like that you've maybe adopted to make you feel good, especially through lockdown? Bro, I wish mine was as healthy as yours. I wish mine was running to get my ass to do any exercise in lockdown. Like, and yeah, I wish mine was running. Um, mine is probably like very opposite to yours, but it's still something that really helps me. Um, I'm a foodie. I love food. And when I'm feeling like ugh, I'm just over the day, I've just had a rubbish day. I'm just like, order something that you love, like go grab some food that you adore, make some food that makes you happy. And for me, like food and and just eating in general is very, it is like a ritual for me. Mm-hmm. And I don't say that in the sense like I have a bad relationship with it because I think it's very possible to have bad relationships with anything, whether that's exercise or food. Um, but I have a relationship with it that. Like it, it produces endorphins in me when I go out and I, I'm like, oh, I've, you know what? I've had a rubbish day. Let me go out and grab some sushi because I love sushi. Or I'm like, oh, I had a rubbish day. Let me go and, and grab some food of my sister. Or let me go make some pancakes for breakfast. And food is a big thing for me. Another big thing right now is is definitely like the recreational side of, of family time. So we have been playing a lot of board games. So I've been playing a lot of Ludo with my mum and dad, uh, Uno with my siblings. My brother and his fiance recently got a game called The Labyrinth. So we've been playing that, Snakes and Ladders. So sometimes it's just like zoning out and doing an activity that doesn't require too much brain work because a lot of these board games that I'm mentioning aren't like those, you get heavy duty board games. These are like the fun, chilled, relaxing, competitive ones. So doing that has been really good. And another thing that has been really important to me in this time is just getting rest because I think that sometimes in lockdown or when you're working from home or you can't travel, you overcompensate and you actually end up working instead of doing like your usual hours, you might end up working for 12 hours of the day just because you're at home and you feel like you're not doing enough. And for me, it's like, actually, this is a, this is, this, this time is unfortunate, but it also presents a unique opportunity to rest in a way that you would not rest when you are going as normal. Um, so I've been I've been making the most of resting. I, I can't lie. I've been chilling on the sofa. <laughs> I've been watching Netflix. I've just been like, re- even when I have like interviews or or meetings, I'll just be in my bed on Zoom in my headscarf, relaxing. Camera off. And it's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just, <laughs> I don't know, maybe. And, and then, yeah, so a lot of relaxing for me. A lot of relaxing. Oh, I love that. So, sis, what's next? What can you tell us? What's next for you? What is what is next? What, what the key, yeah, the key thing is what can I tell you? Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I'm embarking on, on a, a few projects. I don't know how much I can say, but definitely watch this space when it comes to maybe more activity with the BBC Mm. so I've got some more bits coming up and my book is obviously out in October and so a lot of it will be like marketing and and fingers crossed I get commissioned for another series of a money move so we'll wait and see I guess yeah the the world is my oyster (laughs) 
I'm trying to be positive. <laughs> I love this. So last year, for those of you who might, who probably won't know, like um, every year um, for International Women's Day, I usually do some sort of dinner that celebrates women at work in the creative industry. And Tony gave an amazing keynote yeah, last year. You. And honestly, we've stayed in touch ever since. But like, I remember everyone coming back to me afterwards and just being like, she's just so amazing. Oh, and you just powered so. the whole, you just powered everybody up to be supercharged that night. And I just know that everyone was able to like take bits away and I just feel like your energy that you give to others is just so penetrative and it's just so uplifting and every time I see your tweet I'm like yes I must have value myself yes I must be I'm just like super charged up so sis honestly from the bottom of my heart I just want to say thank you so much for uplifting us it was so important for me to have you on an episode just because I just felt like you know we we have we sometimes we feel like we're speaking to the same network but we're actually not like you know so I didn't want it to be an echo chamber I definitely wanted to connect with you and you know this to to spread wider than just our immediate circle so I just want to say thank you for your time we appreciate you you. we appreciate your upliftment we appreciate you and everything that you're contributing to our culture and the positive onset of our culture which I think is important so for those of you who don't you're bluffing but anyone that might want to find you on socials Tony what's all your acts across socials Thank you so much. That was, that was so sweet. Um, my at t- Tony Tone, but to make it awkward, T0NITZONE. So that is my username across every single platform. Hey, and there you have it, guys. That's another episode of TTYA Talks. Log in next week, share, love, like, subscribe, all of that good stuff. Yeah, and make yeah. sure you share this episode with all your friends that might have might need to be understanding how to have a healthy relationship with money and a healthy <laughs> money mindset. You know what I'm saying? Um, we Thank appreciate you, you guys. So We're gonna be focused. We out. Thank you, Tony. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you enjoy the podcast, please spread the word. Rate, review, subscribe, all of that good stuff. For any questions, please also feel free to send me a signal on Instagram or Twitter on the handles at IreneTTYA or at TTYA Talks.